Well, uh, once again, uh, everyone, good morning. Sue, I, I, I can't just tell you enough how exciting it is to be with you all. Um, and it's also exciting that we're going to uh, spend the next couple of Sunday mornings uh, looking at passages from the book of Ecclesiastes together. Uh, for some of you, I gather, this may be a familiar territory. You may have gone through the book together as a church. Um, and for some of us, maybe it's not so familiar. But either way, I think there's surely things that uh, God's word has to teach us. So let's uh, start by reading the Bible together. And our passage today comes from the opening of the book, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. So Ecclesiastes, directly after Psalms and uh, uh, Proverbs. And let me read. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the, to uh, the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north Around and around the, uh, goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which uh, it is said, see, this is new. It has already been, uh, it's, it has already in ages before us. It has been in, already in ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will be, there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Well, that's God's word. Let's uh, pray together. Father, thank you so much that in your goodness and mercy that we can come together, your people, under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we can sit together under your word, opening it up together. Father, hearing you speak to us, Thank you so much for this uh, book, and thank you so much that it has so much to teach us as your people. Father, teach us how to live uh, lives that are wise in this world that you have created, that you have ordered. And Father, help us to look forward uh, to where all things are heading to. Father, the work you are accomplishing in history so, Father, would the spirit that caused these words to be written help me as I uh, speak today, Father, uh, to speak your very words. And, Father, help us all 
uh, to understand it, to grasp it, and Father, to live these things out in our lives. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I want you to uh, start this morning by uh, just taking a very long, hard look at yourselves. Not literally, but just think about your lives. Uh, think about your work, think about your responsibilities, think about your ambitions, think about your pursuits, think about uh, everything that you do that fits within your daily lives. Now, I want you to just ask yourself a question if you're doing that. Uh, just how important are those things? How important are all those things that I just mentioned? Your ambitions, your work, your achievements, your pursuits. How important is your life? Well, for the preacher, the guy who's uh, doing most of the talking in this weird book of Ecclesiastes, uh, his answer is not really important at all. None of those things are important. Actually, our living and our toiling are actually rather insignificant. Whether you're the uh, President of the United States or you're the Prime Minister of the UK or you're Harry Kane or you're the you know, most loved celebrity or an ordinary person, our living and our toiling, says the preacher, is very insignificant. We're all VIPs, says the preacher. We're not very important people, but very insignificant people. Now, those are some really, really bold statements, aren't they? Those are some really bold claims, and they really do need backing up. But before we try to uh, see what he's saying and how he comes to this, let's briefly understand where he's coming from. So just briefly, look down at your Bibles with me. Look at verse 2 and 3. And his basic point throughout the whole book is that everything we do under the sun is vanity. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> it's, it's a very weird phrase, but I think the best way to understand what the preacher means by all is vanity is that everything is fallen. Let me explain. Throughout the book, it, uh, the preacher is looking at very, various aspects of human life and through observations about uh, human experiences and the way in which the world we live in works, he describes a world that's good and a world that's full of potential. And yet, because of the fall, all the stuff that happens in Genesis 3, that potential is elusive. It escapes us. Remember what happened in Genesis 3 when uh, sin came into the world and uh, God's world came under judgment. Well, the preacher's looking at that world. And he's saying that that world is mucked up. That world is messed up. The fall affects every aspect of life in God's world. And so the, the best illustration I've, I've ever heard is that it's a little bit when, like when you uh, go to do the spring cleaning and you go to do the dusting. And, you know, if you play, uh, play close enough attention when you're doing the dusting, you'll see that dust is absolutely everywhere, isn't it? You know, it's even the places that you don't really expect it to be. It's, you know, in the hard places. It's 
in the covered places, it's inside things, it's just absolutely everywhere. And in the same way, the effects of the fall are everywhere in this world. And it absolutely affects every aspect of our human experience. Do you know what that means? That means that, uh, that our experience of living in this world is, is just bleeding with frustrations. Look, it gives us a reality check. It, it gives us a realistic uh, picture of what life is like in a post-Genesis free world. We probably all in this room knows what, know what it's like to, for example, invest so much energy and so much resources and so much time into something uh, just for something outside of our calculated control to just muck everything, else, muck everything up. Or for some of us, we know uh, loved ones or new loved ones who are fit and healthy, uh, health conscious in the prime condition of their lives, all for them to just be snatched away by disease and death. If any time has shown us that, it, it's the previous year, isn't it? It's the past year. Or we may have experienced being hardworking, diligent, uh, qualified people who uh, pour out all our energy for our, our employers, and at the end of the day, we get no recognition. We're just overlooked. All of us know some of these frustrations. And this is the world in which the preacher is speaking into. He's, he's talking about all of these type of things. And he kicks off this idea of uh, everything being fallen by telling us one thing in this passage. There's one thing you, you ought to get in this passage. And that is that our, our living and toiling in this world is insignificant, absolutely gainless. So let's look at how he shows us this. He observes three things from nature and three uh, things from our human experiences. And so the first observation is that we come and we go, and there's very little to show for it. Look at verses 1 through 8, which we just read. The question he's asking, verse 3, is what do we gain from our toil, everything that we do under the sun? And he frames the answer to this question with the idea of generations coming and going. Look at verse 4. A generation goes, and a generation and ge a generation comes. Now look down at verse eleven. By the end of our passage, uh, he says, "There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be remembrance of later things yet to be." Now, if you are here and you have your ESV uh, Bibles, you'll notice on the footnote that uh, former things or latter things could be translated former peoples or latter peoples. Or if you're reading from an NIV Bible, you'll see that it reads more clearly as uh, generations. So the preacher's answer to his question in verse 3 is framed by this idea of generations coming in and generations going out. Uh, in other words, what he's saying is that we come and go. Our lives are a very brief part of an endless cycle of uh, one generation passing the baton to the next. 
and then the next generation to the next, and then the next generation to the next, and it just keeps on going. Look at verse 4 again. We are part of this cycle of coming and going, but uh, in contrast to our coming and going, look at what it says, the earth remains forever. And the point is this, that against the backdrop of uh, God's created order, our lives are virtually nothing. Our lives are like a, a drop in a big blue sea. Our lives are like a, a very minute speck in a very, very, very long history story. We come and we're gone in the blink of an eye. And as far as history is concerned, it, it, it's just a minute part. We find ourselves in, in this ceaseless, endless, repetitive cycle. And so the preacher turns to nature to reinforce his point. So look at verse 5 with me. Look at how the sun works. In the morning, the sun gets up, it rises, then in the evening it goes back down, and then it hurries back to where it began again. It follows an endless repetitive course. Or look at the wind in verse 6. The wind blows to the south and goes around the north, and around and around the wind goes, and it just continues with its endless circuit. Or yet again, look at the waters in verse 7. The streams flow into the sea, and then for those of you who know science, um, condensation or something or wherever happens, and it turns back into, uh, you, know, it, you know, becomes clouds and rain somewhere, and then, you know, it just ends up back where it started in the streams. The cycle is endless repetitive it just continues and our lives in this whole program in god's creation is just a small part we are just coming and going we fit in this cycle which simply fits into the ceaseless uh, repetitive nature of god's world now even on an individual level we could say the same as it's the same for our lives couldn't we uh, tonight, uh, probably, uh, we're going to go to bed dreading the next day, and then we're going to get up early in the morning and go to work or do whatever we have to do. And then once we come back in the evening, we're going to spend a little bit of time with our families, or we're going to have a little bit of time for ourselves or watch Netflix or whatever it is you do. And you're going to go to bed, and it's going to repeat again. We are part of an endless, ceaseless uh, cycle that is simply repetitive and look at what uh, verse 8 says it summarizes all as just being straight up wearisome it's tiring I'm pretty sure that many of us in this room can testify to, uh, to this uh, fact that it's just tiring but yet I want you to notice one more detail in the passage one more detail uh, the metaphor of the waters in verse 7 differs slightly from that of the sun and the wind in verses 5 and 6. It's not just telling us that uh, the waters follow a repetitive cycle. It's also telling us that this cycle yields very little gain. It doesn't yield much. In other words, there's nothing to show for this repetitive cycle. Look at verse 7. All streams run to the sea 
but the sea is not full. Now, again, I want you to remember the preacher is looking at the natural world in order to illustrate something about generations coming and going, the endless cycles that we live our lives uh, out. And what is that? And what's the point that it's illustrating for us? It's illustrating that for our coming into this world and going, there's nothing to show for it. The ceaseless repetitive cycles and activity amount to very little gain. Now, let's just uh, pause for a moment. Let's just uh, think about that for a second. Uh, there's something that's true about that here, isn't there? There's uh, tons of songs, I, I'm sure we can probably think of some in our heads, about uh, changing the world for future generations. Or there are tons of people who are committed to leading change so that the next generation are better off. Uh, we can think of one, for example, Greta Thunberg, uh, with the whole climate change thing. And there are tons of other philanthropists uh, doing all sorts of good, positive things. But let's ask the question. As far as we can tell, uh, have the peace treaties of previous generations stopped all wars in our generation? The answer is no. Have uh, aid initiatives from previous generations stopped all hunger and famine in our world today? The answer is no. Have uh, medical breakthroughs from the previous generations stopped disease outbreaks in our generation? Well, at least this year tells us for sure of certainty, absolutely not. And will our efforts in our generation accomplish these things for successive generations? Now, don't get me wrong, they'll uh, make valuable contributions. They will uh, definitely affect the lives of many, but the answer is still no. Life, as the preacher observes, in every generation is affected by the fall. And the truth is that we just come and we go, and there's just, just little to show for it. The world, by and large, remains the same. By the time we've passed on the baton, yeah, there's a few things that have changed, but fundamentally, the world we live in is the same. It's wearisome. Let's think about this on a personal level. Uh, how much do we leave behind to show for our 70, 80, if we're lucky, years of ceaseless, endless activity? Well, for most of us, it's, it's probably going to be very little. It's vanity. It's, it's gainless. So that's the first observation. Uh, we come and we go, but there's very little to show for it. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, we're going to continue, and he's, the second observation is that we come and we go, but we actually experience nothing new. With every generation, we are you know, absolutely obsessed with new stuff, new things, uh, right from the small mundane things to the big impressive things. We're obsessed with new things. We love uh, trends, we love uh, new uh, uh, cars, we love new jobs, people are... are you know, changing jobs at the rate of every two years at the moment, I think. Uh, we are absolutely always in search of new things. And uh, I think Kanye West summed, summed it up in his song way back in the day. 
You know, I don't like it unless it's brand new. You know, that is the way in which our world thinks. But on a, even on a greater scale, we're, we're interested and obsessed with launching things into space to discover new things. We're interested in uh, medical breakthroughs that will just revolutionize, uh, revolutionize uh, medical treatment. We're interested in huge technological advances that will just make our lives easier. And the preacher echoes this appetite for new things in our passage. Look at what he says in verse 8. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Now, what is it that the eye is looking out for, and what is it that the ear is listening out for? Well, that comes in verse 9. Look. What has been will be, and what has been done will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. In other words, it's, it's all about new things being done. And the problem is that this never satisfied appetite for seeing and hearing new things is gainless. Why? Because just as we see these uh, cycles we just observed uh, produce nothing new, successive generations come and go without producing anything new either. What has been done will be, and what has been, uh, been, done, been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been done in the ages before us. It's uh, very interesting when you have uh, children to see the trends um, that pop up, the things that they're interested in. And for our son Mickey at the moment, uh, and most of his friends, it's, it's all about Pokemon cards and Beyblades. And you know, for them it's this new exciting thing, uh, but for me and Abby we're just thinking, oh wow, okay. so. <laughs> Beyblades, we were playing with those back in the day, they ripping, yo, it's absolutely nothing new, it's, it's, it's just recycled, it's, it's come back into fashion. We grew up with these things. I remember um, back in the day when I was in uni, there was a, a dance move that everybody was crazy about, you know, everybody was raving on about this dance move. I won't mention it, but if you, if you guess it, you guess it. Um, but our, you know, our parents were, uh, you know, looking at these dance moves that we were obsessed with, and they're saying, "Oh, these are dance moves that people were doing back in the day in Ghana a long time ago. It's, they're just nothing new. It's it's, it's recycled a recycled trend that's just resurfaced." Well, the preacher is saying that all things that we experience, generation by generation, are by and large the same. On a personal level, we experience um, uh, the same stages of life that the previous generations experience. We grow up, we become adults, we work, we start families, we uh, buy houses, and so on. And yet, there's no milestone that ever seems to quite scratch where we're itching. We're always on the lookout for something new. Even on a, a humanity level, uh, the same is true too, isn't it? Uh, we might say, well, hold on, there's uh, many new advancements and many new discoveries in science and technology and medicine. And yes, that's true in some sense. But fundamentally, those experiences of discovering new things and creating those things, 
They've been present in every generation. In every generation, there's been a breakthrough. Uh, in every generation, there's been a new invention of some sort. And it's just an experience that's common to every single generation. So, you know, whether on a personal level we are uh, constantly looking for new things or in the world we live in, this too, the preacher says, is vanity. It's gainless. We're just never going to be satisfied. So there goes the second observation. We come and we go, but there's nothing new we experience. Our living and our toiling are so insignificant and gainless. And so this leads us into the final observation. That we come and we go, but we're just not remembered. Let's look at verse 11. There's no remembrance of former things. Nor would there be any remembrance of uh, later things, yet to be among those who come after. Uh, we don't remember those who come before us. Um, and you know, the harsh reality is that we won't be remembered either. And actually, our children won't be remembered. And those who follow us won't be remembered. Uh, those things that we uh, did and who we are those things are simply going to fade away. There's no remembrance of them. Sure, there's uh, probably one in a million, maybe if we're lucky, one in this room who end up in a history book. But even the stuff that's written about those one in a million people, uh, surely that's trivia, right? It just ends up in a game that we end up playing once a year for Christmas, and nobody knows the answer about anything to do with their lives. There's no remembrance of generations that come and go. Now, uh, I mean, to illustrate this, uh, let's, you know, work with me. How many of you know your great, 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 great grandparents? Show of hands. Oh. Great? Five times great. Okay. So who knows their great, 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 great? grandparents or who knows their great 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 grandparents yeah uh, who knows their great great grandparents no yeah okay two great grandparents okay surely we know our grandparents so we we, we met our grandparents okay so just looking at around the room and how we responded that basically means by the end of three generations nobody's even going to know we existed there's no remembrance. We're going to be forgetting, forgotten. We, we come and go. Uh, our memory will be reduced to nothing. We'll just be a tombstone uh, somewhere, crumbling, or a collection of back records about you know, where we lived and who we married and all of those kind of things. We come and we toil endlessly and repetitively, and then after it all, we're forgotten just seems unfair, doesn't it? Well, what's the point of all of this? But the preacher's final, that's the preacher's final observation. We come and we go, but we're not remembered. So let's just put all of this together. We, we come and we go, but we, are, uh, we have little to show for it. We come and we go, but we experience nothing new. We come and we go, but we are just not remembered. 
the preacher isn't really pulling his punches here, is he? He's, he's making the point that our living and our toiling in this world is just insignificant, just gainless. No, this isn't uh, really the kind of message that you come to church to hear, is it? It's, it, it sounds very negative. So how are we supposed to wrestle with this? How, how are we supposed to make sense of this all? Well, uh, if you think the pre preacher sounds like the skeptic, I'd like to say that he's not a skeptic. The preacher is thoroughly a believer in the same God we believe in. Now, we won't turn to those passages, but he asserts all, all the sorts of things that we would expect of a believer. He asserts that there is one God who is the creator and sustainer of the world we live in and that he is to be feared and that he holds people to account and that he will judge. He is thoroughly a believer. And so what he's doing is providing believers with a realistic view of life in a world that's fallen. And he's doing that so that we can wait full of hope that for God who will make things right. Now, Hopefully next week we can look at another passage which will bring that out more clearly. Now, I want us to understand that this doesn't mean for us that as soon as, you know, God enters our lives, uh, voila, you know, instantly things change for the better. No, the reality uh, tells us, church history tells us, the Bible itself tells us that life's toils, even as a Christian, are frustrated, they're fallen, they're wearisome. In many ways, it's, you know, gainless. And quite often our knee-jerk reaction is uh, to try and respond to this, uh, to this issue, to try and resolve the tension and the frustration we feel, is to try and work a little harder at uh, making things right for ourselves. If we do this or we do that, we'll, you know, we'll be able to straighten things out. But the preacher says that's vanity. It's just engaging in that same cycle. It's working harder, harder at this frustrating toil. So where do we turn? What, what are we supposed to do as Christians? Well, that's where the fuller revelation of the New Testament helps us out. Uh, the preacher's helpful, realistic view about life and toil teaches us that we, uh, we have nothing uh, we have nothing to show and that we experience nothing new before we die. But it's the radically new event of Jesus Christ coming into the world that makes a difference for Christians. Because uh, Jesus gives us new life and he has brought a new age which is going to end with a new heaven and earth. Our restless ears and eyes will be satisfied when we see him and we hear him. The wonderful things that uh, no eye has seen, no ears heard, no heart imagined, those things that God has prepared for, him, for those who love him. We are looking forward to a time when in him we will no longer be forgotten through death but live forever. Now because of these wonderful promises, because of uh, these wonderful uh, uh, you know, projections of where this repetitive, ceaseless, frustrating creation is heading to, we have hope. The frustration of our toil and our seeming insignificance doesn't outweigh our sure Christian hope. Now, 
that doesn't mean uh, for one minute that this coming week or for the rest of our lives, uh, you know, we are going to be uh, experiencing bliss. No, actually, uh, we have to live with that tension for the rest of our lives. We live with the tension of uh, longing for this hope and yet living in this falling experience. But that hope at least means that whenever we are frustrated or disappointed in our toil or everything is broken or everything is falling apart or everything is just going plain wrong, this solid hope should be grasped. It should be tightly held onto. It should sustain us. And so, look, let's go back to the question he's asking in verse 3. You know, what do we gain for our toil? Well, true, the answer is not much. Our lives may not amount to anything significant. Yet, hold on to this truth, Christian. If we are in Christ, we can be certain that we've gained so much more. We've gained so much more. And that we've gained what's ultimately significant. And that which will uh, one day do away with all of the painful experiences and the, in the toil we have now, we have gained that through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me pray um, as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for uh, this book of Ecclesiastes and that uh, it provides us with a realistic view of life in a world that has been uh, marred by sin, that has fallen under, fallen under your judgment. Father, thank you that uh, we have a fuller revelation. Father, we have uh, the New Testament writings. We know uh, about the love of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we've experienced that love. And Father, thank you that we have a sure hope of where things are heading to. Father, we look forward to a time where uh, the earth will no longer be subject to frustration. And Father, uh, thank you for this hope. And that in this hope, even though we are groaning, Father, we are certain, certain of uh, what, will, what will be accomplished by your grace and mercy and your power, Lord. And so, Father, help us to not uh, grow weary and uh, completely uh, disillusioned by the frustrations we feel in our toil and the feelings of insignificance. Lord, help us to hold on to these wonderful, powerful truths. Thank you so much. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.